My name is Jenna. I am not human. I am Fandalite. everybody hey everybody <laughs> i don't know why that yeah, was so wanna... elongated uh, do it a second take that first one was weird hey everybody welcome to fandalites <laughs> the weekly animorph podcast where me and brent read the animorph books and then we talk about the animorph books this is book 38 the arrival it's an axe pov a raid goes wrong and the animorphs are in a tight spot until a group of andalites arrive the group even acts are mistrustful despite the fact that there's a beautiful andalite female named estrid among the group tensions run hot among the animorphs and they split up but jk not really it's just a thing that they're doing to throw the Andalites off their scent, I guess. But this allows Axe to get in deep with the group. He slowly realizes that the Andalites, which say they're here to assassinate Visor 3, are actually on a suicide mission to drop another goddamn quantum virus on the Yurks. Except that this virus might mutate and attack humans too, so now the Animorphs are on the job. They stop the evil part of the Andalite team and allow Estrid and the captain as well to escape. So this is this is an okay book. I I have complaints. Uh, not as I bad mean, as the last one. You mean book thirty six? Yes, the last right. the last canon book in the series. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> when when we have a headquarters, it will have no floor thirty seven. <laughs> the Fandalite headquarters. Yes, that's right. Uh, so this book was ghostwritten by Kimberly Morris, who also wrote forty eight, fifty, and fifty two. Um, I had a little trouble verifying this for certain, but I believe that she's the same Kimberly Morris that mainly writes children's books, because Scholastic's website lists her as an author who has wrote for them in the past. Hmm. Uh, if that is who she is, I cannot find a website for her, or a Twitter or social media of any kind, which is all right. This book was not exceptional in either direction. It wasn't like super, super good. It wasn't unbelievably terrible it was just sort of in the middle it was just a good solid book yeah i i was thrown off a little by the fact that axe's narration one didn't super feel consistent with his characters established so far Hmm. uh if if for no other reason than he's acting like a goddamn ferengi about all of the females uh i mean he's been fighting with rachel and cassie for a while now and has not in any of the previous books really shown any of that famous Andalite chauvinism that we read about in the Hork-Bajir Chronicles. So I, I don't know. He did kind of, he felt a little, the voice felt a little bit more like season one acts. And we're at the end of season three here, metaphorically speaking. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it did. It felt like, it, it felt like maybe he, the voice of acts in this book wasn't as far as we've known Axe to have grown, other than not being super trustful of other Andalites because he's seen the shit they do now. Well, that's the other thing that kind of confused me about this book. I don't, I wouldn't call it bad, just I was confused by a lot of parts uh, of, of a lot of choices, I guess, in how it was written. Like the fact that the sort of plan that the Animorphs put on, uh, that Axe is in on, that is the sort of twist ending, is hidden from us. 
Mm. For most of the book, uh, Axe's narration doesn't really clue in that he's working with the other Animorphs. He's narrating as if he's reacting, you know, genuinely. And when the end comes around, I was like, well, what? What was that then? Yeah, I I appreciate that, actually, because I had similar feelings, but mine were almost tainted from book 37, the book of the name of which we will not speak. I'm sorry, what book? I don't remember Uh, 37. <laughs> that that published fanfic of right. the Animorphs, yes. the last one, um, it, it, because there are parts in this where the characters act like how they did in book thirty seven, and I could not tell if it was just another sort of weird bad characterization or if it was supposed to be their plan, and it was their plan in the end, so that's okay. But it it was so similar the the way that they acted was so similar to the last book. I, there are times where I was like, I honestly can't tell if this is just a choice that the author is making for a plan, or this is just what the author thinks these characters are like. I, before I was certain that Axe was in on the plan, uh, I, I honestly, that scene in the barn, I thought that maybe they were being played as caricatures by Chi or something. Uh, so that, that they could follow good. him and morph because I, wow, you know, Jake is yeah. hiding behind some hay bales because Tom has been picking on him. What? What? Yeah. And Marco slaps Rachel and Rachel like throws him to the ground and starts beating him up. It was all weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I know Marco and Rachel have a semi antagonistic relationship. I cannot imagine that he would slap her. No, absolutely not. I can't imagine her throwing him to the ground and beating the shit out of him if he did, though. Well, right. I'm pretty sure he can imagine that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I in general, it, it did seem there were moments where we were not clued in to Axe's internal thoughts. Like he sees some grackles acting weird, and he mentions that they're acting weird, and he says out loud that they're acting weird, but he doesn't. He doesn't come out and be like, those are probably the Andalites. And I just, I I assumed that they were Andalites, but I also, it felt weird that the internal narration of Axe wasn't like, yeah, those are probably the Andalites spying on us. Yeah, I, I made a note during that scene that I'm pretty sure those are Chekhov's grackles. Fuck. It turns out they are. <laughs> Fucking every book, Chekhov's grackles. Yeah, it's that famous author Chekhov. He said, if you have a grackle acting weird in the first <laughs> act, it will probably be an Andalite and Morph by the third act. See, in my notes, I have, what is up with the grackles? Is it just a metaphor? Because I thought maybe the grackles, I don't know what I thought it was a metaphor for. But I was leaving open the possibility that it was a metaphor. It wasn't. They were just Andalites. <laughs> So this book also has two really interesting, like, Andalite cultural information tidbits that I really liked, which was that exhibition tail fighters exist and are a thing. Yes, the tail fight UFC. Yes, yes, I really like that. Uh, And also that morph dancing is also a thing. And that's like, you can morph really, really good because Estrid are are beautiful, brilliant, female andalite uh morphs a fully clothed regular clothed human and she's like oh yeah my mom's a morph dancer so i'm just really good at morphing i'm struggling so hard not to start talking about dune again (laughs) oh god is that what what is the dune connection brent with the twilight's face dancers who can 
control the musculature of their face so as to disguise themselves as other people. Oh, uh, that seems like it's a very common fantasy slash sci-fi trope that was maybe based on Dune? Is that where that comes from? Oh, I'm sure it was around before Dune. It's just that Dune in Dune, they're called face dancers. And so that's what I was thinking when she said morph dancer. <laughs> face dancers, gross. <laughs> anyway, that's a cool, weird thing that exists in an Andalite society that we know about now because of this book. Do we think that they're actually letting Andalite women in the military now? Or was that part of the ruse? Oh, I think that was probably part of the ruse. That the whole that whole chauvinism arc was really heavily played in this book, and there wasn't ever really a relief for it. Just disappointing. Dang it, Axe. <laughs> yeah. Like the first time he sees this, it really is sort of a sitcom or rom com type. Like they have a meet cute where they <clears throat> fight with their tail dicks. Uh, and it's an extended sequence where you can almost feel them getting wet as the description gross. of the fight goes on, and it's just They're real teenagers. gross. Yeah. They're aliens. Yeah. Slapping each makes... other with their tail dicks. <laughs> Brent, you're gonna you're making me preemptively make some choices about what is or what is not getting cut in this episode. <laughs> this podcast is explicit. <laughs> oh, is it actually? Okay, that's yeah. good. A at least I didn't call it a pussy blade. <laughs> oh, no, Brent. Brent. Well. I, yeah. Where do we go from there, Brent? Um, so this weird meet-cute that they have uh, acts sort of... And maybe he's just, like, afflicted with an intense loneliness because he hasn't seen any Andalites at all for a while, but he sees this uh, Andalite woman, Astrid... And just immediately is sort of crushing on her real hard. Hmm. And they, you know, go on a date in the gardens for <laughs> some reason. Yeah. And they do kiss. Right. Although it that read a little weird to me because yeah. I, I don't think she really understood <laughs> the significance of what was happening there. I don't really think. I mean, I, yeah, and I don't know if Axe does. No. I think he has a better understanding because of these messages and the young and the restless. Yes, he knows that humans who are both young and restless frequently do things <laughs> with their mouth that are pleasurable, but do not involve chocolate. Yeah, and aren't as pleasurable as chocolate. Correct. Yeah, so I, it, it was sort of a weird scene. I, I appreciate that they both came to the conclusion that kissing is nice, but like there are better things to do with your mouths. I think if it came to any other conclusion, I would have felt really weird about it. Yeah, and I, I, and I know you said before uh, we started recording that you really appreciated this. I really appreciated it too. That by the end of the book, Axe has decided that he doesn't actually like Estrid very much <laughs> because she's kind of a. Uh, Kind Super of a monster. Liar. Yeah, she makes she's the one that makes the quantum virus that they later dispatch. I I think that was that was the only way to really redeem her character because by the end of this book we know that she's Super beautiful, although from Axe's POV, and you know, he might just be lonely, like you said, but she's super beautiful. She's like a super good morpher, like even better than Cassie. She's just like, her mom was like a morph dancer, so she's just like super good at morphing. And her brother was like the best exhibition tail fighter, so she's really good at tail fighting, even though she's like never trained. It's, and she's also a science prodigy. It was, it was a lot. It was a little bit of an Andalite Mary Sue. And I think if the book had ended, in any other way other than Axe being like, I kind of don't like you. You're a horrible person. 
<laughs> which is true and fair i think she would have been a full-blown mary sue but axe is like nah your your morals is shit you ain't nothing that's good yeah and i also appreciate that this time axe has actually learned his lesson from the events of lyra which he explicitly calls out he's on board with Prince Jake's plan, even though it involves lying to other Andalites and disobeying orders from superior officers. Yeah, that was a really nice, I, I was really pleased to get that call back to Lyra and those events and to sort of see that progress on Axe, that he really is like, Jake is his prince, even when other Andalites are around. That's good. Yeah, well, because he, you know, he forsook him sort of in that one and it <laughs> turned out. Turned out that was a yeah, not great actually, at all. And and actually turned out similarly not great in this book, because boy do these Andalites really want to roll the dice on humanity with sure. their fucking quantum virus. I think he may even have learned a little human sarcasm because <laughs> at the end he tells Estrid that he he likes humans entirely because of their skill at making cinnamon buns. <laughs> buns. Uns. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good moment. I, I think you're right. It is kind of sarcastic, but also maybe a little true. Maybe a little true. <laughs> well, they are his great love. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact that this book also makes use of a quantum virus, I think is, I, I feel like most of the elements of this book were sort of piecemeal borrowed from other books. And I, I don't know that it added a lot. I think it was well written, but I just wasn't, it, it just ended. It ended and nothing had really changed. And that's, when you have a book series that's 50 fucking books long, that's an okay thing to have. But it wasn't like exceptionally good or bad. I appreciated, honestly, the callback to the quantum virus because like it's quantum virus too, this time it's worse. Uh, <laughs> because it's sort of feels correct that the Andalites didn't learn their goddamn lesson the first time about biological warfare. Just now they're way more careful to keep it on the DL and deniable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to send a group of misfits off on a suicide mission. Yeah. Right. This this will not result in the shame of a war prince. Uh, no. We'll not have another Alaran. These people are all going to die on the suicide mission and boom. Bob's your uncle. Uh, we couldn't help it. We didn't ask him. It was a rogue group, whatever. Yep. The Andalites have learned, but in the worst way possible. <laughs> yeah. This book did make me appreciate, in just in the larger Animorphs sort of arc, I appreciate that Aloran did not end up being a hero. Like, I, this is something that we learned books and books and books ago, but it, this book made me think about that... I'm really glad Aloran is a villain because it really makes the sort of pathos I feel for him much more bittersweet because he he is he is he is a host and he has been for a while and he probably will be for a while yet because nobody will fucking kill the Vizzer. <sighs> yeah. So I, I appreciate that they didn't take the easy route and make him like a really honorable Andalite. He's a horrible person, but he's still probably doesn't deserve to be a host yeah it, the, nobody really deserves that yeah so I, I appreciate that they that they went there something i took notice of in this book and i don't know if it's been consistent or it's just this one i'd have to go back and look but the noise that andalite shredders make is only like one letter off from tobias's hawk attacking noise and i wonder if that's on purpose as sort of a callback to his andalite heritage or if that's just a happy accident 
I'm having trouble uh-huh. orally visualizing uh-huh. what that is. <laughs> Brent, could you? Yeah. So, could you enlighten me? So Tobias goes, <laughs> and uh, Shredders go, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Does, do you think that means something? I don't know that it means something. I just thought it was a sort of nice little association, like, uh, like, like how on GI Joe the good guys uh, shoot blue lasers and the bad guys shoot red lasers. (laughs) It's kind of like that. Dracon beams make a different noise. Shredders, the good guys make this noise. (laughs) Good guys be attacking like this. I do like that. Yes, excellent. I will, I will, I'm going to cut out my laughs for at least one of those so we have clean audio of it. <laughs> Just for, I don't know, for, for whatever anybody would need that audio for. <laughs> um, what else? What else from this book, Brent? Um, so there is a sequence in which the hork form a human pyramid like cheerleaders, mm. which is brilliant. Uh, I'm picturing them all in their matching crop tops made of that <laughs> blade-resistant mesh. <laughs> yeah, from Bizzer, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and just sort of forming a human pyramid and frightening the children. Uh, and man, I just, I love that image. That should have yeah. been the cover of the book. <laughs> that would have been very good. I'm surprised that there is still enough hork on this planet to make a human pyramid. Because <laughs> boy, do they keep murdering them. <laughs> <laughs> just, there's just not that many of them, and the boy, do they keep killing them? Yeah, not not just the anamorphs, also the yurks. They just keep murdering these horkbajir. Oh man, yeah, it's starting to stress me out a little. Every time they mention a horkbajir getting murdered, it's sort of like that's like every horkbajir you murder is like 05 percent of the remaining population. It's not good. So let's talk about how buck wild it is. That Rachel just fucking tore up a McDonald's specifically <laughs> as part of selling their ruse. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird in order to sell. Yeah, in order to sell their fake breakup to the Andalites, she fucks up a McDonald's, specifically a McDonald's, which really makes me wonder if they if they did sponsor this book or if they didn't well, or if it was unrelated. I'm fairly certain that this book was sponsored by Yum Brands, uh, if, if anybody, because when Tobias quote unquote finds that uh, crisp $20 bill and uh, invites Axe to go to the mall, he talks about making a run for the border and thinking outside the bun and living moss and getting some Taco Bell. Yeah, that's true. He is very into Taco Bell. And we, we learn later that Marco, I think it's Marco's favorite, is is the Burger King. I kind of wanted Axe to make a... Axe has made a joke before about the regent of burgers and humans' uh, allegiance to him, right? When he and Visser tail fought on top of one? I can't remember. All I can think of right now is Hello from the Magic Tavern, because they make a lot of jokes about... (laughs) About about... the interdimensional portal behind the Burger King, yes. Yes, about the the fiefdom of burgers and and whatnot. So I cannot remember if that is Mm -hmm. is also an Animorphs joke. It seems like the sort of thing that that, uh, Axe would would ask about. That's true. Who is the Burger Prince? 
Did we? Did the Andalites have kings? I don't think they have kings. They at have least princes. that we know of. Yeah, they don't have kings. What does that mean? Obviously, they use a different form of the word prince since it's like a specific military rank. Oh, that's true. Oh, it's military. That's fair. I was th- when you started your sentence, I immediately jumped to the musician prince, huh. and that and that instead of following a uh, a royal standard it was a musical standard and so they had like elvises and then arethas and then princes <laughs> and you sort of had to work your way up to the ranks no you see prince is the one purple andalite <laughs> his tail has the most unique shape it's kind of um i can't even verbally describe prince's icon but you know it's that that's what the joke was fuck this is what really it sounds like when caffet birds cry <laughs> Thank you for saving this bit with your joke, friend. Okay. What were we fucking talking about? This book towards the end, uh, where they're sort of making the wild rush to save the Yerk pool from the quantum virus too, this time it's worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arbat's down there, morphed as a human, gonna toss it out of his pocket when he gets close to the actual pool. Uh, And there's a big fight on the pier, and he loses an arm, and they all fly off and leave him getting borne down on by a bunch of hungry Taxons. And it's sort of implied that, oh, well, of course, he got eaten by the Taxons, he didn't morph in time or whatever. Mm. But it seems like a remarkably bad idea to leave a high-ranking Andalite (laughs) intelligence officer just standing around in the Yerk pool. That seems like not a great strategery <laughs> if, if you get yeah, my meaning i certainly do especially because arbat is basically the the garrick the deep space nine garrick of the group like he really is like a, a spy slash intellectual slash super high up in the organization but i mean probably not anymore because he d- did this weird quantum virus mutiny and also is hopefully dead i honestly i kind of hope that they have a second andalite controller now uh, and yeah. that also they have deep and uh, exacting knowledge of the Andalite forces arraignment and battle strategy. Yeah, really? Well, I don't know how else we're going to get through another like 20 books. Uh, I don't either. It, things, it, feel, it feels like things need to start kind of ramping up. I, I just, this is book 38. I want to see one of their terrible plans have a consequence. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to get back to that. Yeah. Yes. I think I think probably in the late 40s, we'll start start to see consequences again. That's my hope. Yeah, I I had to double check the number when the Andalites showed up at the beginning. I was like, oh, shit, we doing this already? <laughs> we aren't. No, no, we are not. <laughs> we are not. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I agree with you that it seemed it seemed risky to to leave Arbet and not make super one hundred percent certain he's dead because that's a bad one to lose. Uh-huh. Like some of them, some of them, like you could lose Gon Gonrod, Gonrod. I'm gonna call the, him the Goonrod because he kind of is Goonrod. You can lose Goonrod the pilot and probably still be okay. But but Garrick. The Garrick Andalite, that's a really bad one to lose. Yeah, that's that's vital intelligence. I him being down in the Yerk pool at all is kind of a terrible idea. But I guess that sort of feeds into the Andalite arrogance. Mm, maybe, yeah. He was super arrogant too. He was very 
I mean, he was just Garrick, Brent. He was just Garrick. <laughs> was Deep Space Nine out at this time? Oh, you know, that's a great question. Let me just go ahead and google a that. Deep Space Nine. Uh, yeah, 93 to 99. Okay. So well, well into almost at the end of its tenure. Okay, so perhaps this ghostwriter took K. Applegate's advice to rip off episodes <laughs> of Star Trek for plots to art. And just said, uh, why not characters, too? I mean, and if you're going to rip off a character from Deep Space Nine, Garrick is probably the one you want to pull. They, they also did sort of allude to Odo's origin story in uh, Visser, I believe. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And this book does specifically call out uh, how the quote unquote lazy Star Trek alien design of having just diff slightly different eyebrow ridges and or ears, which is fair. Well, it's also a little rich coming after we just met the totally not an Andalite, but looks like an Andalite <laughs> yeah. species. The Andalite that they spray painted silver for this episode. <laughs> it's like an Andalite, right? But the tail blade's different. <laughs> yes. Um, what else, Brent? Is there anything else here? Yeah, there, there are a couple more things. Um, at the beginning, the whole mission that kicked it off was them rescuing uh, Mr. King, the Chi that plays Eric's dad, yeah. from a Eric's newspaper dad, building. You mean? <laughs> sure. <laughs> at her, not me, Twitter. <laughs> um, they're rescuing the, the Chi that plays Eric's dad uh, from a newspaper building that he had broken into because it had just done a big headline story about the sharing that ended up being a trap but point is he'd broken in to see what else they knew about the yurks and that seemed like the sort of thing that 10 books ago would have been the anamorphs doing it and that would have led like kicked off the the plot so i'm wondering mm -hmm. if now they're making better use of the chi as intelligence assets sort of sending them to do non-violent information gathering that they normally would have had a whole plan involving all of them morphing something tiny and sneaking into the building around hmm i mean it, it it occurs to me that a lot of the books especially of the last like 10 20 have started with the chi coming to the animorphs and saying we have this intel for you so i i mean it might be that they've sort of been doing this on their own mm. low-key in the background and it just hasn't ever gone quite as wrong as it does in this one in the opening that's fair i had gotten the impression from the opening and this may not be justified by the text uh i had gotten the impression that it was a plan that the animorphs and she collaborated on okay yeah i can see that and that's why they were there ready to bust mr king out but it it, it may have just been uh, the Animorphs saw the same headline as the Chi and said, hey, so... And the Chi were like, ha, we got this, baby. We got this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it. they can't do a lot for the war effort because they can't hurt anybody. And boy, is that a thing that happens a lot when the Animorphs do things. Oh, <laughs> but, my goodness. Good, yeah. But it's good It's good that they are able to provide some sort of, some sort of intelligence support. I like the Chi. Yeah, they're um, an interesting wrinkle. I like that their their nonviolence uh, comes up enough that it is a hindrance, but doesn't mm. make them completely useless. Yeah, we also get a, a part later in this book where uh, I think it's Mr. Key, King, not Eric, who helps Axe break into the Andalite systems. 
like get be- get behind the password filter. Uh, so it's yeah, it's nice that they're still around and being helpful and doing stuff, but are still strictly nonviolent. I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it it manages to add an interesting restriction on them without completely undermining the sort of anti-war message that that these books carry through them, or that they used to. I'm trying to. F- Do you feel like the books still have the same? or as intense an anti-war message as they have previously. I feel like we are currently in truly what I have seen called the ghostwriter doldrums. Hmm. Uh, they didn't start with the first ghostwritten books, and maybe it's just because Visser was such a banger. Ugh, but so good. I, I, the, yeah, the last few books that we've read post-Visser, they haven't had quite as hard an anti-war theme i think it's still there i just think it's not quite picked back up yet yeah and again i think it's something that's not at all the fault of the ghostwriters but more a function of being ghostwritten is that you don't it, it it's hard to keep those threads running over multiple books when you can only write one book out of the next five yeah and i, I think it's also probably a function of there being 50 two plus books in this series and <laughs> after a certain point if every book went as hard on the war is bad theme it might get a little tiresome yeah that's fair they can't all be quite as intense as that even though i might i might still be into that but i might also not the, the alternate reality of this might be us doing this episode but complaining about all the anti-war message i don't know that that it would possible? be a thing we'd complain about maybe yeah, in the mirror fair. universe where jenna with a goatee and a sash uh Ugh. is very intensely pro-war and is complaining about the libcock propaganda in this book fuck jesus god right? <laughs> <laughs> he fainted a horrifying picture truly a nightmare universe welcome welcome to the terran empire god i want to watch deep space nine (laughs) didn't you just finish deep space nine i actually have not finished i'm at the last season i have like four episodes to go but i can't bring myself to finish watching them because then it'll be over it'll be over i can see that Uh, so yeah i I don't know that we'd be complaining about a hard anti-war message i think it just we might be like well this was another book where once again war is terrible yeah and that was all there was to it which like yeah. might be fine, but maybe doesn't sustain fifty books in a go. That's true, and definitely doesn't sustain fifty plus episodes of a podcast. <laughs> well, and it is always there, low key. This book, I think, sort of brought back more of the anti-war message because there, it was just it was kind of buried under a lot of dross, um, mm. because there the the whole final showdown, the central argument behind it is is. The Garrick Andalite saying that this is war and and war is about hard men making hard choices so that the rest of the Andalites don't have to. And so this is justified and it's actually morally great if you think about it. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And, and the Animorphs going, what? No, I don't think so. Don't do that. So, I mean, it, it is it is more present there than it uh, has been in the last couple, I think. Yeah, and I think once again, like, having read the Andalite Chronicles, no, the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, having read the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, I I feel like that has informed this book a lot, because 
if the Horik Bajir Chronicles didn't exist and we hadn't seen the Andalite pushback against the quantum virus, this would have been a much different read. True. <laughs> if if we were just getting the quantum virus and a bunch of Andalites being like, it's worth it. It's <laughs> humans. It's fine. Probably some humans will survive. It'll be okay. It would have been a lot different read. I think we coming into this already being against the quantum virus helped a lot. I think it's an extremely revealing bit of characterization about the Andalites in this book anyway, that it never once occurred to any of them that if their new quantum virus plus plus can make the jump between Yurk and human, that it could make the jump between human and Andalite. Hmm. They're like, well, we'll release this universal death plague on the galaxy, and I'm pretty sure everything will be fine, because we're real good at this, and hubris is definitely not an Andalite trait. <laughs> yeah, and it also raises questions about if Axe were morphed human and got exposed to the virus and then morphed into an Andalite, what happens to the quantum virus? Oh, that's a real good question. Man. That's, that's, my, that's the plot of my ghostwritten book. It's it's book number 56. It's, a, it's the book after the end of the series. And it's where we get uh, the conclusion of Hecate's story. And also this plot about um, Axe unleashing the quantum violence on a virus on the Andalites by morphing. Now, is that set in the Animorph slash Dune slash Star Control 3 shared universe that I've been building up over the course of this podcast? <laughs> it's actually in my uh, Animorph slash Deep Space Nine crossover fanfic. Yes, right. So. Yeah, it, it, I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but Q's around. <laughs> he might have a Deus Ex Machina for us. Is he on the same side as the Drood or on the other one? Um, They are frenemies. They fuck sometimes, but they're actually not all that close. And now I'm picturing the Drood fucking and I do not like that one bit. <laughs> Thanks, You're Jenna. Welcome, I hate it. You're welcome. This has been Fandalites, right? Yeah, Tobias disintegrates a McDonald's. <laughs> this has been Fandalites. <laughs> uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, next book is book 39, The Hidden. It's a Cassie POV. Oh, I'm excited to see another Cassie POV, but a little trepidatious, depending on who wrote it. Yeah, I feel the same way. I love Cassie so much, but I think she can become really one note maybe more than the rest of the animorphs she can become one note in the wrong hands yeah if you want to write us if you've got any commentary um please email us at fandalites at gmail.com or messages on twitter at fandalites we have a tumblr that you can hit us up on fandalites.tumblr.com um you can visit our website at fandalites.com our sister site at andalitetruth.org Thank you to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find more of his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. So we'll see you next week. And until then, remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs>